On this episode, we take a look at the return of the Balboa, a popular Bankers Hill burger restaurant that, for a while there, no one thought would be able to make a comeback from the fallout of the pandemic. We also hear from a local distiller on how the past year has really shaken up her industry. Laura Johnson, owner of You and Yours Distilling, joins the conversation. Our tasting room operations really kept us afloat, and we did not have that last year, so that was really tough. But on the bright side, um, it was a very, very, very good year for canned cocktails. And we'll chat about some changes at Petco Park, including what's cooking during Padres games and how concessions have adapted during this pandemic-era baseball season. You are listening to The Scene in San Diego podcast. Candice, how are you? Hi, Monica. I'm doing well. Hope you are too. So shall we talk burgers? Yes, always, always. <laughs> so we're going to share with you the story of the Balboa. Um, but the story of this place is about so much more than just burgers, right? There's an underdog kind of tale of triumph here, one that we really haven't heard much of during the pandemic. Right. So we've seen a lot of restaurants in San Diego County that have been forced to permanently close during the pandemic. With restrictions changing so much and the economic impact, it's just been hard for some of these local eateries to keep the lights on. And back in July of 2020, we thought that was the fate of the Balboa. Yes, I remember we talked about it on our podcast last summer when the owner of the Balboa, Tom Logston, announced that he would have to shutter the burger bar for good. And that was when dining restrictions, if you'll remember, they were really tight in San Diego County at that time. Right. And the Balboa's location on Fifth Avenue in Bankers Hill just didn't have an option for outdoor seating. So at that time, Tom decided it was best to just end the restaurant's run. And, you know, people were devastated. The place for a lot of San Diegans is kind of an institution. Right. Um, it's just really one of those classic neighborhood spots. And if you like burgers, you probably know about the Balboa. So at that time, Tom shifted his attention to running his second location of the Balboa, a larger restaurant in Chula Vista, which had opened just a few months before the coronavirus pandemic hit our region. And the Balboa in Bankers Hill closed, um, but then things got kind of interesting. Tom's former landlord reached out to him with a proposal that would help him bring the Balboa back to its original location on Fifth Avenue. The deal included adding an adjacent space to the location that doubles the seating. Wow. And so with that, the Balboa is back. And Tom and his crew, which includes bar manager Rob Sullivan and GM Justin Buchanan, they were finally able to reopen the space on April 15th. And they've got this revamped cocktail list that came with a reopening and some changes to the menu. Right, Candice? Yeah, the menu now sort of focuses on the bar's most popular burgers, like the original Balboa burger with house aioli and the barbecue bacon cheeseburger. And of course, their fresh cut Kennebec fries are still on the menu. Nice. So all is right with the world, at least the burger world. All right. Good stuff there with the Balboa. Uh, So now we want to shift over to you and yours distilling, a distillery in the heart of San Diego's East Village, which opened in 2017 as California's first urban destination distillery. You and Yours is led by Laura Johnson, a University of San Diego grad who really shook things up in an industry historically dominated by men. 
And Candace and I have each been following this story, you know, since you and yours opened a few years back. And, and I remember covering Laura's story four years ago. I can't believe it's been that long. And um, I just remember the most, you know, her drive and her, you know, dedication and just vision for this place was really inspiring. And I remember visiting the little space that's still there at, on G Street in um, the East Village and just seeing how the spirits were made and just thinking how cool that was. And the distillery, you know, since then, it's really come a long, long way. The brand has really made a space for itself in the San Diego County area and beyond. But the pandemic has been rough on distilleries in California over the past year. Right. When the pandemic hit, distilleries were grouped with wineries and breweries and had to shut down operations for a while. Uh, And tasting rooms had to shift to outdoor service only and find ways to incorporate food sales so they could operate like a restaurant under the state's pandemic guidelines. You know, luckily with you and yours, they already served food. Yeah, that was very lucky. Um, And then in March, distilleries, wineries, and breweries, they were given new guidelines that allowed them to offer outdoor service without having to serve food, but with lots of other rules in place still, like reservations and time limits for patrons. And now under the orange tier, which is where San Diego County currently stands, distilleries can offer indoor service on top of outdoor, at 25% capacity or 100 people, whichever is fewer. And then if our county shifts into the yellow tier someday, that capacity rule, it'll increase to 50% or 200 people, whichever is fewer for distilleries. So it's been a lot of back and forth for distilleries. Yeah. Let's roll now into our conversation with Laura Johnson so she can share some perspective with us about all of this and what's happening these days at You With Yours Distilling. Laura, hi. Hi. It is so nice to see you again, even though it's over a screen. We're just really (laughs) happy you're here. Likewise. Thank you so much for having me. Yes. Well, thank you for joining us today. Can you share just a little bit about how you got started with the distillery and, and what kinds of things you're making right now? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I moved out to San Diego back in 2010 to go to college and um, went to USD and, and, you know, was just kind of um, enjoying the college experience as one does and didn't really know quite where I wanted to go with my career afterwards, but always knew that I had um, a really intense passion um, and interest in wine and spirits and specifically um, the distillation process. And so I decided to kind of pursue that after graduation. I did a distilling course, um, I think like literally just the week after I graduated. This was like summer of 2014, I believe. Um, And it was just really all over from there. I was a dog on a bone. I couldn't get enough. I loved the industry, the space, the process, the opportunity to create flavors. Um, And I'm definitely skipping a lot of steps here, but um, (laughs) eventually eventually just, um, you know, kind of, took a leap of faith and decided that I wanted to start my own distillery. Um, and so, so that's what we did. Um, my now husband is my, my business partner. And so, um, we opened, uh, you and yours in March of 2017. So just celebrated our four year anniversary and we are a, um, hospitality minded and gin focused house. So we distill a few different styles of gin, a couple different vodkas. Um, and we also produce eight different, uh, canned cocktails at the moment as well. Awesome. We're definitely going to get into the canning. This is very important. (laughs) 
Yes. <laughs> Laura, so we know it's it's hard to sum up, you know, everything that's happened over the past year and how the pandemic has impacted your business and your personal life. I mean, it's it's such a struggle for so many people. Um, but we figure that's what a good drink is for, right? So Amen. <laughs> we'll talk about it now. Have a drink later. Um, so can you just tell us a little bit about how you and yours has adapted over the past year and maybe like what's a typical day there like now? What are the operations like under the current restrictions? Absolutely. So um, we were, I guess you could say lucky in the fact that um, I think it was May of 2019 that we put in um, a small kitchen in the distillery, in the back of the distillery. So we were able to kind of operate and go by the restaurant regulations through this entire period, as opposed to just the distillery or winery regulations, which was a huge help. It meant that we could be open, you know, doing takeout and to go um, for most of the shutdowns, the pandemic. And, um, you know, it was, it was really interesting because um, 2020 or, you know, this, this global pandemic has produced for us, for you and yours, some of the highest highs that we've ever had as a company and also obviously the lowest lows. So very quickly right now we are operating, we are open as usual. Um, we have our same hours, same operation, same, well, new menu, um, but, but same menu, same style of service that we had prior to the pandemic, which feels really, really good to be open again and be welcoming customers, obviously um, abiding by the um, capacity restrictions. But um, other than that, we also, you know, had a plenty of outdoor patio space that we put in before this all happened. So we were, you know, fortunately set up really well. Um, having to shut down the tasting room and, and, you know, having people here in person, um, was obviously a huge crusher, um, to business prior to the pandemic. Our tasting room was, you know, our bread and butter with, if we would have, you know, a down month or a down quarter when it came to distribution or wholesale, um, you know, our tasting room operations really kept us afloat and we did not have that last year. So that was really tough, but on the bright side, um, it was a very, very, very good year for canned cocktails. Um, so we were we were kind of saved by those in that part of our portfolio, funny enough. Besides the canned cocktails, are you doing to-go cocktails at all? Absolutely. Yeah. So we do to-go cocktails. Um, we, we do our to-go food menu now, um, which is, you know, funny, never something that I thought we would, you know, do as a distillery is like, you know, offer food to go, but, um, you got to do what you got to do. And, you know, we just every week, whether, you know, it would be on zoom or whatever, we would kind of, you know, keep those weekly meetings with the team and just be like, okay, what can we do? What can we do to stay relevant, to stay top of mind for people to give them what we think they want in these circumstances. And as you guys know, it really did change week to week to week. Like there was a, obviously like a long time period where people, you know, wanted contact, contact list delivery. And we would walk out, we would put the cocktails in their trunk. And then there were weeks where no one wanted to order takeout because they could go out again. Um, so it was just, it was honestly mind boggling, you know, just, and, and overwhelming, like to just be like, okay, what, what does everyone want this week? <laughs> it's so great. As a, as one of the few local distilleries that does food, like obviously that really helped you, you know, during it the did. pandemic to stay open and how has that sort of impacted your business? Is it a very different thing than, than sort of the distillery business? And is it something that you want to get involved more in? 
Yeah. So um, it, we we love the food component. I love the idea of you know someone being able to come in for a couple of cocktails and a bite and an app and to share a couple of small plates. And it just really allows us this whole other format in which to tell our story and to um, to to kind of like present people our products. I mean, I think almost every single dish on our menu incorporates one of our spirits in some cool way. So that is really fun. Um, but also from, I mean, Candice, you know this, like at heart, I am such a huge enthusiastic consumer um, and lover of hospitality. And to be able to, you know, offer a really well-rounded experience with not only spirit tastings and cocktails, but also food um, and service is like just a, a dream come true. So Laura, I, I was doing a Costco run a few months back, you know, just for like, applesauce, string cheese, the mom essentials, you know, <laughs> and I accidentally wound up in the cocktail section. I don't know how that happens every time, but um, yeah. I was, you know, in there and I saw a big box of the you and yours canned cocktails and I got really excited about it. And I was like, oh my gosh, Laura's canning. You know, I, I just got really excited. And we know that canning has been a huge trend during the pandemic for local brewers Tell us about how you got into canning and, and how it's going and kind of what the trajectory is there. Yeah, absolutely. So we've canned our first um, canned cocktails. We launched with three SKUs and we launched those in um, the fall of 2018, actually. So it was about a year and a half after we opened that we started canning those. And um, it was a really exciting kind of next step and progression for us. It had always been something that was in the pipeline, but um, we didn't necessarily plan for like an exact launch date. We just knew it was something that we wanted to do at some point. Um, and that ended up being a really serendipitous time to launch them. <laughs> um, yeah. Cutwater opened the same year that we did. And, um, you know, they just really paved the way for us when it came to that kind of, you know, side of things. And um, the pandemic was interesting because we spent most of 2019 building out our, our canning infrastructure. I'm actually at my office in our warehouse right now. So this is where we mix, chill, carbonate and can. Um, and so it was kind of the beginning of 2020 when we started to think about launching additional SKUs and flavors. And so it's funny to think about, but I think like at, at least half of our current roster of cans came out, like were launched last year, <laughs> you know, during the pandemic, which is crazy, but um, it's been, it's been a really fun ride for us. Um, you know, I think it just, it goes hand in hand with that cocktail experience that we want to present to people in our tasting room. Um, but obviously not everyone lives in San Diego or can travel to San Diego. So this is a fun way to kind of, you know, give a little bit of that experience um, at home. And then, um, uh, yeah, I, yeah. And, and the, the Costco 12 packs have been amazing. That was also something that came on last year that we launched with them during the summer. And it was just like, you know, another dream come true, another, you know, huge, um, you know, goal account, goal placement. So really excited. Yeah, I think I took a picture of the can pack. I was like, I can't believe this. This is incredible. <laughs> yeah, we have two. So we have a mixed 12 pack of like what we call our classics. So a mule, a GNT and a vodka soda cranberry. And then we have a citrus 12 pack, which are um, basically like our three best sellers now, which is the, um, the three vodka sodas, the tangerine, key lime and the Meyer lemon. Okay, perfect. And I know that like the vodka and gin, they were your your babies from the start of you and yours. So those continue to be really well received. Absolutely. Um, you know, that was another real heartbreak, unfortunately, of the shutdown um, last year. 
you know, obviously a huge piece of our business is, is, was distribution. And, um, when you have no on-premise accounts to sell spirits to, um, it, you know, it's really, it's really difficult to get those out there and, and, and into people's hands. And so, um, you know, sales of spirits definitely declined last year, but they're picking back up and absolutely you're, you're right. We are, you know, first and foremost, always at the end of the day, a distillery first. Um, and those spirits are, you know, incredibly special to us and the same exact liquid that is in the bottle that you buy in the spirits world, that's the exact same spirit that's in the cans that you buy. And we're really proud of that. When you expanded into that other warehouse space in the East Village um, for your canning and production, I know you originally intended to open a beer and wine garden there. Is that, <laughs> is that something that's still in the car? Co- I'm asking because I really want it to happen, as you know. I know, as do I, Candace. It's a great question because um, that beer and wine garden that we honestly would still love to do here, um, that is a huge part of the reason why we have the Loma club now. (laughs) So that was kind of um, how that came about. And I don't know if we want to get into that now, but um, it it is still something that we would love to do. However, um, you know, like our our idea for that space, this space here on the backside of our warehouse kind of was ebbing and flowing a little bit. And, and um, you know, we ended up taking a trip. I think it was the summer of 2019 um, over to Europe. And we did like a, you know, a, thing through Scandinavia. And we bookended the trip um, in London where my husband's um, cousin and, and like best friend, um, Ollie lives and Ollie builds mini golfs for a living. And we were hanging out with Ollie in London and he was taking us to these cool mini golfs and some really fun ones with like cocktail programs and some, you know, really kind of, you know, just more basic ones out like outside of London. And Luke and I were just like, we have to do this. Like we have to go back home and build a super posh mini golf with an amazing cocktail concept on it. And we started talking to our architect who has since become a dear friend because we were kind of trying to hash out what we could do here in terms of the beer and wine garden thing that we, the idea that we had. And um, we were like, Chris, do you think we could like switch to like a mini golf concept? And he was like, you guys want to do mini golf? Like what? And, um, and he actually was like, no, no, no. If you want to do mini golf, you need to come take a look at this place. And we were like the Loma club. We know that place. They carry our cans. We, we live up the street, you know, like we, we love playing golf there. And so that's how the opportunity arose. And that's how we randomly operate a golf course now. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. Yeah. We were going to ask you about that. We wanted you to give us an overview, but that's fantastic. So just so our (laughs) listeners are in the loop. So you took over operating that golf course um, last year, right? And it's at Liberty Station. And so this announcement of the mini golf course was pretty recent. It was. It was very recently. Yeah. We took over um, the Loma Club January 1 of 2020. (laughs) Wow. Okay. So what have been some of the challenges of, of that project? I mean, that's just... That's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot. There's a lot going on. Um, But honestly, I have to say, um, taking over the Loma Club has been such a blessing in disguise. We absolutely adore that place and that business. And we would go there as patrons. And I don't really, I don't play very good golf, but you know, I like that course is beautiful and the view from the fifth hole. And we enjoyed spending time there. And when the opportunity came about, at first, so side note, at the time, Luke and I were buying a house, renovating the house, which we're still renovating, and planning a wedding, all is about all at the same time as a pandemic is about to hit. And I'm like, you want to take over a what? 
like, excuse me. Um, <laughs> and, and so at first I was like, no, absolutely not. But it ended up being a really, a really amazing thing that happened because as you guys know, golf was, um, something that really sh- shine that really, um, I guess, you know, kind of got a big bump out of the pandemic, something that was outdoors and open air and rel- felt that relatively safe at the time. Um, was amazing to have and definitely challenges, you know, kind of taking over an existing business that's been there for a hundred years. You have very passionate regulars and locals that um, want it to stay exactly as it is. And, you know, we wanted to come in there and keep everything that was amazing about it, but just bring it up just a couple notches, you know, kind of put our little Y and Y touch on it, if you will. And so um, still kind of in the process of, 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 of doing that. Now, Monica, you have a place to take the kids where you can have a, they can play and you can have a really good cocktail. It's perfect. (laughs) This is for all the moms, Laura. Totally. No, that is exactly the idea. That's the, that's the idea. It's exactly what we want. When uh, I remember talking, you know, four years ago as you were getting started and, and at that time, you know, you were saying that, you know, part of the reason why you were so passionate about getting getting this up and running is that there were so few women, you know, distilling professionally, locally and nationally. How has that has that changed over the years? And, you know, has the number of women in the industry increased and how, how, how have things changed from your perspective? Definitely. I definitely see the numbers increasing. I see the numbers of either aspiring female distillers or or just female distillers that are, you know, like in the throes of their career or just getting started, like reaching out to me. Um, I have a few that I kind of like touch base with on a regular basis that we have, you know, maybe like a monthly or like every other month call just to kind of, you know, not just like, you know, prop each other up, but to vent <laughs> about being, you know, a distiller, a female distiller in a, in a male dominated space. And so I definitely have seen um, an increase in, in um, you know, our representation across the industry. It's obviously still like the minority, um, very much so, but it's been really fun to see the industry unfold and, um, you know, to see these big names kind of come out and, and do really fun things. And um, yeah, we're, we're out there, we're doing it. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, where do you see you and yours heading in the next couple of years? I mean, I know it's so hard to even like sometimes look to the future when you realize what just happened to this world was so unpredictable, you know, but where do you kind of see yourself going? You know, are you experimenting with new spirits, more food? What do you, what do you think? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, prior to, um, the pandemic. So it it was March of early March of 2020. And we were this close to signing on the dotted line. I think Candace, you knew this, we were about to sign a lease on our second tasting room that we were going to put in downtown LA. And thank God we didn't, um, you know, obviously sign that lease, but it is very much still something in our, in our sites, in our, I would say like near to medium ish future. The tasting room model is so special to us. And, we do really feel like that's our strength and like what we do um, that sets us apart from other craft distilleries is provide this really amazing experience. And so um, we do want to get back on track with our um, kind of tasting room model and expanding that. Um, And we also want to expand our distribution from, from day one, you and yours, we've had extremely lofty goals Um, and, you know, like slowly, but surely we're, we're checking them off. So we're distributed in um, nine States and three countries right now. Um, I definitely see um, at 
least a few more coming on this year. Um, and the name of the game is, is definitely expanding distribution, um, also expanding our footprint, you know, here at home. Um, I, I love when people come up to me and say like, oh, I see you everywhere these days. And like, I love hearing that because that's what we want. But I know that like, we haven't even scratched the surface. So um, it's just about getting our product out there in the hands of um, the people who I think like really deserve to try it and, um, and hopefully, you know, grow to love it. Do you think you'll do another tasting room in San Diego? I don't think so. So um, we've always kind of wanted to have like a home base in San Diego, um, but the the kind of more craft beer focused tasting room model where you kind of maybe have one in a few different neighborhoods, um, that that never really was our vision, um, you know, to, I, I guess, you know, to give a reason for that. I think we just, we, we really pride ourselves on being a true destination distillery. And so if you are in San Diego, we want you to come to our flagship tasting room. And if you are in LA, we want you to come to our LA tasting room and, and so on and so forth. So um, we're, we're, we're kind of more interested in putting tasting rooms in other key markets outside of San Diego, where we want to increase our distribution and increase our presence there. Being that you and Luke love, you know, hospitality so much, you've got the tasting room, now you have the golf course, like do you, can we expect that you guys might um, diversify into another s- corner of the space? Yeah, yes, yes, absolutely. Um, Are you <laughs> flipping houses now? <laughs> <laughs> Gosh, we're, I mean, our, um, our own home has been under construction for like over a year now. But um, no, we're not, not flipping houses, but um, Yes, I I think you will hear some. Well, I not I think you will definitely hear some um, some more exciting news from us definitely this year. Hopefully soon, um, for sure. Um, the hospitality space is near and dear to us, and has always where we've wanted to been or wanted to be long term. And so we are we do we do have some stuff you know cooking up. So we're excited to share that with you when when we can. <laughs> so great. And will you, are you doing good, going to be doing more canned cocktails? I'm yes. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. We um, are kind of putting the finishing touches on um, some cold brew canned cocktails, some some coffee um, containing canned cocktails. So kind of just, you know, getting those ready for their their big debut. Oh, cool. And any other spirits? Um, yes, I'm just trying to decide how much I want to reveal. <laughs> <laughs> um, kind of. Um, but they're you know, in the works. Even- in, in, yeah, something something fun is in the works, kind of um, in that same vein as the the new the new coffee can cocktails. Oh, very cool. Cool. Yeah. Thank Laura. Thank you so much for being here. Yes. It was so great to catch up with you. Thank you. Likewise, it was so nice to see you both. Thank you so much for having me. So nice catching up with Laura there. All right, now we want to catch you up on what's happening over at Petco Park as we're right in the middle of this very exciting Padres baseball season. And Tatis drives one to deep left field. He drives one to the moon. High, deep, and very gone. Fernando Tatis Jr. with a two-run So following San Diego County's move into the orange tier, attendance for home games at the ballpark has been able to increase to 33%. And then there are select sections of Petco Park that can go up to 67% capacity for fans who can show proof that they've been fully vaccinated 
or have a negative COVID-19 test. Of course, you know, face masks still have to be worn inside Petco Park, except for when you're actively, you know, drinking or eating at your seat. And social distance is still part of a deal there. And they're keeping the crowd to California residents only for now. But what about food and concessions, Candice? Where does that stand right now at the ballpark? There have definitely been some changes since opening day. You know, at the start of the Padre season, all concessions shifted to mobile ordering uh, via the MLB app, and there were very few food stands open. And now concession stands are operating again on all levels of the park, although mobile ordering is still available for in-seat beverage delivery. Uh, Petco Park remains a cashless venue, though, so be prepared to order with a card. Okay, and I know that at first, a couple of the vendors that were open at the ballpark were local favorites like Bonaforqueta, Hodads, and Pizza Port. What else is open there now? Last weekend, Grand Ole Barbecue opened in Section 113, where it replaced the Phil's Barbecue stand. It started by offering brisket and pulled pork sandwiches with coleslaw and fries, but the menu will expand soon. And this is so fun. Grand Ole Barbecue owner Andy Harris told me that having his barbecue at the ballpark is just a dream come true. He's such a big fan of the Padres, and he even has a Padres tattoo. Oh, I love it. Such devotion. So I also heard that Puesto is at Petco Park right now too, right Candice? Yes, the locally owned Mexican restaurant is posted up on the field level at first and third base. Puesto stands at Petco Park are serving burritos, guacamole, and their prized Cadillac margaritas. They'll be selling tacos there eventually and making fresh tortillas on site, as well as pouring beers brewed at their Mission Valley Brewery. Awesome. Well, that'll be nice just to get those uh, to more people I know. They opened that up right in the middle of the pandemic there in Mission Valley. So, um, you know, probably the more people they can get to, the better at this point. And that makes me want to go to a ball game right now. Me too. The team is so fun to watch. Well, thanks, as always, for hanging out with us today. You can find coverage on everything we talked about in this episode on NBC7.com and in our Eater San Diego and NBC7 roundups, which publish every Friday on the scene section of NBC7.com. Monica will share highlights from this episode in her podcast show notes on NBC7.com, and I'll have a story about you and yours distilling on SanDiego.Eater.com, so check those out too. Now, if you enjoyed our podcast, please subscribe to Scene in San Diego on Apple, Spotify, Google Play, or Stitcher, wherever you enjoy listening to podcasts. But we do want to tell you we are going on a little bit of a hiatus here because our producer, Matt Lewis, is leaving us. He's known as the podfather around these parts, and we're just going to miss him so much. Really are. It just won't be the same without you, Matt. Yes. Thank you for everything. This has been a great year. I'll I'll miss you guys too. Um, this has really been the highlight of you know my career at NBC San Diego. It hasn't even felt like a job. <laughs> it's just been chatting with two really great people, um, and you guys have done such an amazing job just navigating us through this restaurant scene. It's such a crazy time, um, but I'll miss you dearly. Um, for those who are listening, I'm moving to Utah. Uh, such a change from beautiful San Diego, but I'll be working remotely. Um, so I'll be requiring you both to mail me California burritos once a week. <laughs> um, I'm not too sad because we'll stay in touch often. So this isn't goodbye. San Diego is going to be home. Thank you. We couldn't have done this without you. Literally. We do not know how to do it. <laughs> like, don't leave. We would really appreciate it if you could just stay. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Matt. So we definitely want you to leave us with just sharing some of your top 
places in San Diego and some things that you love about our city. So when you're not working, where do you like to go? Um, you know, if I want, I'm always craving like a Mexican kick. I, I Like I said, I love burritos. I love tacos. I love everything. I, I really love El Pollo Grill in Chula Vista. That restaurant has been like so big in the South Bay and has done such a great job advocating for other local businesses during the pandemic. Um, but they do an amazing Cali burrito. I always get the build your own California burrito with chicken. Always got to get it with chicken. Um, other places I really love. I love Japanese food. We have such amazing restaurants on Convoy. Um, and in Kearney, Menya Ramen is always top notch for me. I love Hanoka Sushi or Suruya. I always get the Fuji roll. It is amazing. Um, and then I love sandwiches and burgers. I mean, you guys already talked about Balboa. Um, I love the Balboa. I love Rockies and Pacific Beach. Oh, yeah. Um, and then I love, I'm, I'm always up for a good sandwich. I could probably eat a sandwich once a day. <laughs> I love Mona Lisa's in Little Italy. And I love Ike's in Hillcrest. Um, but those are just some of the few things I like. Um, and you know, I'm going to miss San Diego. Like I said, we have such an incredible food scene that we've been talking about all year. Um, but I'm really going to miss the good natured people and like our Southern California style as much as we mock it on like SNL with the Californians with our low key style. (laughs) Everyone is just so kind and there's literally no other place that I want to come and settle. Um, so San Diego is just the best and I'll miss it daily. Well, we'll, we'll know, we know you'll be back and we look forward to it. I will. I shall return. Definitely. Well, thank you so much, Matt. And um, for our listeners, you know, even if we are pod fatherless for a little bit here, (laughs) we do hope to be back soon. And hopefully by then our city will have recovered even more from the pandemic and we can get back to doing the things we love to do and talking about the things we love to do. And and we want to be here for the comeback for sure. And if you've learned anything from Candace and myself, it's that we love a good comeback story. We do. So thank you for listening, San Diego, and we'll talk to you soon. 